Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 207 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the one, the only British Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner, and I am not alone. I am uh, joined by a fellow true grit Brit, and I'm very happy that Chris Roche is joining us once again. Hi, Chris. Hey, Robin. Fresh so from it, your travels to England, right? So uh, you can, yeah, that's you can right. uh, try your English accent again. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm pretty upset with the English right now and their lack mm. of ice in any drinks in any way, shape, or form, not least of which tea. Don't understand how the English can love tea so much, which I agree with is a wonderful drink and never, ever want to put ice in it. It's wonderful cold as well. Why limit yourself? Why constrain yourself? I think you'll find the British Empire was founded on people who were willing to drink tea in the hottest of climates around the world. Africa, India, you know, it's, it's what, it's, it was the foundation of their success. Well, I imagine that uh, there was plenty of tea flowing in Silverstone uh, over the past weekend. It was, uh, in many, many ways, uh, a homecoming uh, of the sport. To be in England, I mean, England is the uh, the the development center of the vast majority of the Formula One teams. It is the home of many drivers, and even if it's not their native country, almost every single one of them have spent time in England because uh, British Formula Ford, British Formula Three, and I'm sure indeed even karting is extremely competitive, and I think many people would argue the most competitive in the world uh, in England. So. Every single driver has time in England, whether they're from there or not. So it's a it's a huge, massive hub of the sport. It is really the uh, the home of the sport in most respects. And in my opinion, it delivered quite the race. And uh, I'm ready to talk about it. How about you? Well, I think we should probably start at the controversy in London, right? We had a Formula One parade uh, around Trafalgar Square. And Lewis Hamilton went to Greece instead. So um, that, that got a lot of coverage back in the UK. A lot of people felt uh, he was not being respectful of the Formula One fan base. But of course, they all turned up to Silverstone. Nobody went to Trafalgar Square to watch Lewis Hamilton trundle around at 20 miles an hour. <laughs> so what? I mean, what's your opinion on that? Because, you know, uh, Mercedes, you know, Total Wolf said, hey, uh, you know, if he needs a break, to be on top of his game in England, I'm all for it. But on the other side, it is his home country. And in addition to that, he was the only driver to miss. I believe the 19 other Formula One drivers were there and did walk around and did participate. Yeah, as I said, I think the majority of the uh, hardcore fan base went to Silverstone at the weekend and they they camped out, they got wet, they drank beer, and they appreciated Lewis Hamilton racing at over 150 miles per hour on his fastest lap. Average. Exactly. So, um, you know, your, your, your financiers that live in London, okay, they missed out, they missed Lewis, and uh, never mind, they should go to Silverstone next year. <laughs> okay, so I think what you're saying is, uh, let me see if I'm translating correctly, uh, you're really angry and you're no longer a Lewis Hamilton fan and you wish Vettel wins the championship. 
You know, it's funny you should bring that up, but do you know what Nico Rosberg did at the weekend? He <laughs> went to watch tennis. There's your Formula One world champion. He wasn't out in London parading around, was he? He was watching people hit little fluffy balls back and forth. They are they are a reasonable size, I've been told. I, I have to be careful. I have to tread lightly here. My wife is a hardcore tennis player and tennis fan, so everything about tennis is oh, great. Um, me too, but uh, he's a Formula One driver. <laughs> <laughs> He is. You know well, what? Supposedly. <laughs> He's the reigning Formula One world champion, sir. And he was at the Goodwood Festival of Speed in a, I think, a W04. Uh, yeah. It was a 2013-2014 um, uh, Mercedes Formula One car. And put on a little show uh, at the hill climb. Did a few donuts. Kicked up a few uh, few piles of dirt. And I think hit oh, the announcers at one he? point. Nico Rosberg did. Yeah, yeah he went <laughs> offline. He was out of bounds. He was penalized. He had to do a 10-second stop and go. Uh, but no, he, he, he made people at Goodwood happy. And, uh, you know, he is still employed as an ambassador of the Mercedes Formula One team. And maybe Mercedes needed an ambassador at Wimbledon. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they did. But anyway, I think the uh, the F1 event was quite the hit, even though Lewis didn't turn up. And, um, well, you know, he didn't do badly at his day job, did he? When he when he rocked up on Friday and trounced everyone for the weekend. So. Well, tell me, let's, let's not leave this London thing yet, though, because part of the controversy, or part of the discussion points at least, is that Silverstone is balking at renewing their contract after, I believe, it's 2019. Well, they opted out, right? Yeah. It was, it was a fantastic Bernie deal where yeah. you sign up at a reasonable rate year one, and by year 20, you basically owe the entire national debt of the USA on an annual basis to host a Formula One Grand Prix, and they simply can't afford it. So they, they had an option in their contract to opt out after 19 um, to stop this this constant uh, escalator that was going on with the price to host the uh, the Grand Prix, and, and I don't blame them. So now they're in a strong position to renegotiate because really there's nowhere else in the UK that can host the F1 race. You know, nobody wants a street course around London. That'll be a farce. So that was a big thing that Bernie was pushing for for years was a street race in London. And then I know I don't know how many years ago this was now, but there was a controversy of Silverstone losing unless they updated their facilities, which they did eventually do. And at one point, the race was going to go to Donington Park. And uh, so there were there were uh, threats of uh, the Formula One circus leaving Silverstone. And that was that was my initial hunch that uh, Silverstone saw this as an opportunity. Bernie's out. Uh, Liberty Media has taken over. This is a chance to maybe renegotiate uh, more uh, suitable terms, but Liberty Media is not going to look at the property and say, "Oh, good, let's not make as much money." You know what I mean? You know, Liberty Media is looking at a lot of uh, new ways to promote, and they want to increase the number of races, and they want to increase the access and things like that. But I don't think they want to give away any of the favorable terms that they've already developed under Bernie. No, but they have said that Formula One, um, Formula One's history is very important, that there's a few core races that embody, you know, Formula One over the last 60, 60 plus years. And Silverstone's one of those, as long, uh, along with Monza and Spa-Francorchamps. And, 
you know, Monaco. So you can't walk away from these classic races or you do so at your peril, right? If you want to pick your Abu Dhabis and, uh, and all the, uh, the, the, the Petro states and, and their money, then that's up to you, but it, you'll lose the essence of formula one. And I think Liberty media are smart enough and they'll negotiate and everyone fully expects this negotiation to go back and forth for about six months and then there'll be a new deal. So, uh, I don't. I mean, they have they have changed the laws in the UK that allow street racing again, and that's opened the door to a London Grand Prix. But you know, realistically, are you going to be able to create a course that allows Formula One cars to really, um, really demonstrate the performance of that vehicle like like they can at Silverstone, going through the Beckett's, um, uh, you know, part of the course that uh, where everyone, the drivers, the spectators, everyone thinks those cars are absolutely awesome through that sequence of turns. And you're not going to get that, um, you know, in Hyde Park, are you? I think uh, if I were designing the course in London, I would have them, they would have to loop the London Eye. So it would be more <laughs> of a, a hot, hot Wheels style course. And that would be the first in its history. And I think that'd be brilliant. So. Liberty Media, yeah. if you're listening, you know, I am available for hire. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you see that going off track a little bit? The E-Pace barrel roll was quite spectacular. That Jaguar uh, stunt. <laughs> no, I did not, but I certainly I certainly believe it. Um, okay. So, yes, indeed, there was a race at Silverstone. Uh, these are ultimately... Mm-hmm. Race for second. Well, there was... A, it, it, there's future... There's future things going on at Silverstone, and yes, there was a race for most positions at the track. Uh, yeah, there's no point in glossing over this anymore. Uh, Lewis Hamilton dominated from Friday morning on, and that was the long and short of it. Lewis uh, comfortably took pole position in uh, wet but drying, effectively dry conditions by the end, and uh, won the race handedly. But... Uh, you know, the fans love that, first of all, and really because of championship implications, the race for second and all the things going on there was, for me, quite entertaining. Yeah, I think uh, you're doing Botas a disservice. He was quite competitive on Friday. Um, he seemed to fall away in quali, and uh, although he had a great race, but he wasn't, he still wasn't quite on Hamilton's uh, pace even in the race itself. But, uh, I mean, ninth to second was, it was a fine effort from Botas. And there was some, um, you know, there was some competition from Ferrari for a little while there as well. But uh, Hamilton around Silverstone appears, especially in a Mercedes, appears to be something quite special. Four races uh, in a row now. Um, wet, dry, doesn't seem to matter. He's, um, he seems to uh, hook up around that place like he does in some of the other tracks around the world, like Canada and uh, Hungara Ring. He just seems to be in his element on these on these tracks and uh, completely controlled the race from start to finish, really. Yeah, he, he does very well in North America, and that includes Canada and the United States. He was His very first win was at the Cirque de Gilles Villeneuve. Um, that was his first win in 07. And then he went on to win in uh, Indianapolis at the final running of the infield road course at the Indy Motor Speedway. And uh, he's also, I know he's won, I think it's got to be at least twice at uh, Circuit of the Americas. Uh, could be more than that. I don't have that statistic in my head. But, yeah, he, he does well in North America, and uh, he does well other places as well. It's not like he's limited to. But um, right. uh, 
Botas, I thought, drove extremely well, uh, considering that he, he lost five grid places for uh, a gearbox change, and then he was only able to qualify fourth. Lewis Hamilton was, again, comfortably on pole, but then Kimi Raikkonen, uh, ahead of Sebastian Vettel, was Ferrari 2-3, and then Valtteri in fourth. And uh, once again, I was very pleased that Raikkonen out-qualified Vettel. I am getting pretty tired of Vettel's constant complaining about something. He's really, I think the root cause is that he's just, this championship and being with Ferrari means so much to him that he's very passionate about it, but he's reacting to it in ways that are just uh, putting a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, he's he's been having the rub of the green so far this season, I think you'd say. I mean, in Baku, obviously, he got lucky, didn't get DQ'd, um, managed to score a couple more points than Hamilton there. Got a little lucky in Austria as well that Hamilton had the, the gearbox penalty. So up until now, he's he's been, uh, he, you know, everything's been hanging together for him, uh, for, for the uh, Ferrari reliability. He's been pretty good. And he's been, I mean, he's been doing a good job, but... Um, but yeah, the first real um, issue he's encountered, uh, and he didn't really react that well, did he? Um, I was very pleased that Raikkonen still managed to get on the podium because he'd had a he'd had a cracking weekend, good qualifying, was very solid in the race, uh, was was unlucky to get the puncture late on, and then it looked like he was going to fall down the order, but uh, but managed to rescue a third place, which was good. Considering, you know, he was the only one really sort of keeping Hamilton honest, at least for the first 10, 15 laps, right? Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Keeping Hamilton honest, but, uh, you know, that uh, a real threat for the win that was fleeting, quickly fleeting. And uh, there was the uh, there was the botched uh, start. There was the procession lap and then a second procession lap because I believe it was um, uh the, the Renault, right? Yeah, yeah the Renault. Palmer. Uh, yeah, uh, Palmer couldn't get his car to even move, so they had to do another procession lap, and you know that took a uh, lap away from the total count. And then um, there was the uh, full course yellow uh, early on. I don't know, eight laps, eight ten laps in, um, that brought out the safety car, um, and. I believe that was Carlos Sainz and his teammate Daniel Kafiat that caused that one, uh, yeah, that incident yeah. where uh, Daniel Kafiat thought uh, the track was a bit wider than it was, and uh, the fact that it was his teammate uh, that he took out probably wasn't the best career move, uh, but uh, <laughs> we shall see. That one's interesting, and um, it it was really fascinating because. Daniel Kafiat was able to continue. Uh, Carlos was out, but that definitely did not fare well for Kafiat in his career future. And also for Palmer, uh, there's talks of him not having much more time in the Renault. So to me, it was very fascinating that the cars that uh, left the race early were the drivers that were uh, in deepest question of their career in general. Yeah, I mean... Palmer seems to have improved his performance of late, and he qualified 11th, but uh, but he's some way off Hulkenberg, and um, 
that sort of gap is just uh, on a week-to-week basis is just unacceptable, right? You either get competitive or you lose your seat. That's the way Formula One should be. Um, you know, he's a British driver, but uh, he hasn't really excited me. I haven't really seen anything he's done to make me think he's a future Formula One star. So I'm in favor of uh, bringing somebody else in and give them a shot. But uh, we kind of got off track there. I was I was enjoying the all the things that Vettel complained about during the course of the weekend. So... I oh, mean, he wasn't, a bit, <laughs> he wasn't a fan of Verstappen's driving, was he? Good old, good old Verstappen managed to sneak into third and wasn't giving up, going to give up the place uh, quickly. And Vettel couldn't find a way past until the pit stops. I mean, he had to do uh, an early stop in order to do the undercut. Uh, and then was complaining about Verstappen's uh, moving in the braking zone again. Um, but, you know, that, that attempted pass in Stowe when they were both off the track on the Exeter Stowe was uh, was pretty amusing. And it once again showed that Vettel is quite willing to take the rules to places that no other driver normally takes them. I mean, he just, he just like driving into someone, you know, <laughs> under the safety car and then blaming the other driver for it. I mean, it's, it's classic Vettel. It, it's quickly becoming classic Vettel. That's exactly right. And yeah, it was really interesting to see how aggressively he was trying to pass. And then when Verstappen passed him back, he flung his arm in the air because what Verstappen did was uncalled for. It's like, I'm not seeing a difference between the two. And obviously, the safety stewards didn't see a difference either. And that was that. And Verstappen had a fantastic uh, run to uh, finish fourth and uh, be ahead of Vettel for a good chunk of the race. You're right. It had to be a strategy call where... Vettel pitted early, and then in clean air, he was able to lap a little bit faster. And uh, But since you bring up Verstappen, it's uh, as good a time as any to bring up uh, Daniel Ricciardo. He was... But hold, hold on, you, hang, hold on to that. Oh, wait, no, there's there's more Vettel complaining, isn't there? Okay, more Vettel. <laughs> no, no, but, but if you think about it, because he couldn't overtake Verstappen on the track, he had to do the early pit stop, which meant he had to do a very long stint on those tires, which may have led to their their failure on the penultimate lap. So if he'd actually been able to man up and pass Verstappen on the road, he wouldn't have had to do the early stop, and then he would have got his, his fourth place, right? I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> I, it, it was the manhood that was the, the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I listen, uh, Verstappen has proved quite capable, and uh, to uh, use a pretty stereotypical term, he makes his car quite wide. He's quite good at placing the car legally yet very effective in terms of defense. And then, uh, you know, he he can... The capable chassis that uh, Adrian Newey has built makes it uh, very effective at exiting out of corners and things like that. So maybe they're down 20, 30 horsepower, maybe even 50 uh, at the top end. But, you know, it's not a huge gap and... It's an effective chassis that uh, can be difficult to pass. And then, of course, you know, both drivers, Verstappen and uh, Ricardo, are, are, are quite good at uh, making the most of the chassis. So it's you see it in uh, pretty consistently that they're not quite as strong in qualifying. But then if they get a position in the race, it's a lot harder to take it back. Yeah, well, I mean, Hamilton found that in uh, Baku, right? And uh, and also in Austria. 
I mean, he 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 uh, tried to get a pass on Ricardo what with one or two laps to go in Austria and, and couldn't get it done. They got side by side, but Ricardo held the place. So yeah, those Red Bull's uh, development seems to be probably as good as anybody else on the grid at the moment. I mean, uh, and certainly they're quite, they're closing in on Ferrari quite quickly. And you could argue that Mercedes are pulling away from Ferrari. And Vettel really, that's probably what's driving his. Um, his noise that he could see that uh, although he still has a one point lead in the championship, the competitiveness of the Ferrari seems to be falling away and Mercedes are starting to get on a bit of a roll here. So if this continues, even after the, you know, the next Grand Prix and the summer break, then he's going to struggle to, to keep pace with both Hamilton and Bottas, I would suggest. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, I will say after the summer break is Spa, and Raikkonen is always very strong at Spa, so that'll be a telling event uh, uh, in terms of uh, Raikkonen's race pace, I think. But um, back to Verstappen. Verstappen was able to get around Vettel right away, right at the start. And there were a couple of moments where he was threatening Raikkonen, but Raikkonen held him off without too much trouble. And Raikkonen went ahead and had uh, by far the strongest stint um, at the beginning, other than Hamilton. Hamilton was in a league of his own. But uh, I was quite happy to see uh, Raikkonen out-qualify Vettel and then, indeed, have better race pace than Vettel. Because when we saw it at Monaco, uh, that was not the case. Vettel was able to hang on to the back of Raikkonen. And then Ferrari did what Ferrari does and uh, gave Vettel favorable treatment over Raikkonen when it came to pitch strategy. But... Uh, it was quite nice to see Raikkonen do as well as he did, uh, especially in the first stint. And indeed, as uh, the race was coming, getting later into the race and Botas was closing, um, Raikkonen was responding pretty darn well. And I think were it not for Raikkonen's puncture, I think Raikkonen would have held on to second place. And, uh, and it would have been, uh, you know, the same three on the podium, but uh, second and third switched. Um, you know, it's it was amazing to see Raikkonen have the puncture. He dealt with it really well, and he did a quick change, got back out. And I thought that was going to put Vettel ahead of Raikkonen again, and I was really just, you know, throwing out expletives. And then Vettel had a puncture at a less opportune moment, and it was a more severe puncture, and he didn't handle it as well. So all of a sudden, Raikkonen gets his spot back, and Vettel loses several places. So to see Vettel go from third to seventh on the last lap, I mean, what just what a lovely cap on a very pro-England weekend. Yeah, I don't think there were too many people shedding tears for Vettel at Silverstone, that's for sure. It's interesting that um, both Ferraris and Verstappen pitted. I don't think any other car had uh, a late pit stop, right, to change tyres, certainly that I noticed. So for some reason, those none cars... In the, none in the top, anyway. Right. So those cars seem to be very uh, hard on, the, on their front tyres, or certainly the front left tyre, right? So... Uh, that's a bit of a confusing statement on their front left tire and uh, you know that led to um, 
to to the late stops that shuffled the order a little bit. The Mercedes, I mean, Botas was was flying toward the end of the race and didn't seem to have any apparent tire issues. I mean, uh, Hamilton said he backed off to protect his tires, but uh, but there was um, no obvious uh, comments from Mercedes that they were marginal on tire wear at the end of the race. So um, not only did Ferrari seem to be slightly off Mercedes' pace, but they also seemed to be much harder on the tires. And I guess it goes back to this um, this, this season-long issue we've been seeing that Ferrari are better on certain low abrasion tracks, uh, but maybe it, it costs them on other circuits where their tyre wear is actually much higher than the Mercedes. So I guess it's a double-edged sword. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I re- actually remember it in the inv- in the inverse way, in that earlier on in the season there was discussion of how Ferrari can get temperature into the tires more quickly and effectively than Mercedes. So it was easier for Ferrari to um, have their tires up to operating temperature sooner, which helped in qualifying and in race pace. Um, So on the low abrasion tracks, uh, Mercedes really struggled because their tires just couldn't stay up to temp uh, to the point that they were happy. But if you take if you take that exact same fact and flip it, that would go exactly as you described. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not sure what they describe Silverstone track surface as, but the temperatures were quite cool, weren't they? Um, and yet Mercedes didn't seem to have any trouble getting the, 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 the tires to work on their chassis, whereas clearly Ferrari was still working their tires quite hard. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's a whole science in itself getting getting the tires to work in the in the right operating temperatures and 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 the wear at an acceptable level. But clearly, something's going on where both teams are struggling uh, with it at different circuits, and so the pendulum seems to be swinging. But as I said earlier, it appears that Mercedes is starting to get to, to grips literally with that problem, and. Um, and are starting to open up a little bit of a gap here. Now, it was interesting. Vettel was was commenting after the race that uh, Mercedes have a particular advantage in qualifying and that um, Ferrari are working on a couple of things that he thinks will tip the balance back in their favour. And he obviously didn't express exactly what they were. But um, to me, Mercedes have more than just an advantage in qualifying. Uh, you know, they, Hamilton clearly had a, a far superior race pace. I mean, there was a period where the gap to Raikkonen was hovering around three to four seconds. And then um, so a couple of laps after the safety car, he was pulling away at a second a lap. I mean, that's not just a qualifying advantage. That's a significant race advantage. And, uh, and he didn't run out of tyres during the 51 laps either. So uh, I think Ferrari have a slightly bigger issue than Vettel certainly acknowledging at this stage. Yeah, I agree with that. And I actually, uh, this kind of also circles back to the previous topic because there's two things to go on with, uh, even though it was cooler at Silverstone, because there, you you know, you have the uh, Maggots Beckett's Chapel complex. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, you know, several high speed, high G corners, even in cooler air temperatures, that will, that amount of friction, that amount of pressure will heat a tire up much more effectively than, you know, a Baku or a, so where the corners, where the the actual mid-corner speed is uh, not terribly high. So I think that helps bring tire temperature up. And then the second thing was uh, there were articles after the British Grand Prix kind of throwing out warnings to Ferrari. We're learning how to tune this Mercedes chassis. We're, we're, they kind of 
hinted that they were slow to truly understand how to tune this chassis, but now they're figuring it out. So kind of making uh, kind of making to say that, you know, we're going to go faster moving forward. What have you guys got? So that was kind of the impression I got. And uh, obviously, Ferrari's not <laughs> not going to stop developing this car. But um, it seems like the Mercedes confidence, if nothing else, has improved. But, uh, you know, it, I just, real quickly, I don't want to miss anything here. Uh, so we had Lewis Hamilton win the race comfortably. Valtteri Botas do a great job, job to make it a Mercedes 1-2. Kimi holding on for the podium. And then we had the Red Bulls, Max leading Daniel Ricciardo. Then in sixth place, we talked about him earlier, Nico Hulkenberg. So Palmer couldn't even make the start. Nothing Palmer did wrong. But Nico Hulkenberg had a fantastic result in the Renault. Yeah, and you wonder if um, seeing Hulkenberg actually race competitively um, behind the top three is making Alonso fancy a move over back to his back to his old uh, Renault days when he won his couple of world championships. And because certainly, I mean, maybe not in Palmer's hands and certainly their reliability is not flawless. In fact, I didn't think Hulkenberg was going to finish the race. There was some onboard footage, I think around lap 40. He got passed, I believe, by Vettel and the thing seemed to be smoking down the hangar straight. And I was thinking, oh, that's going to detonate in a couple of laps. But, but he made it to the end. Um, I mean, Renault do seem to be making strides. I mean, you compare their development pace with, say, Honda, and, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different game altogether. They're really getting up there. So um, Hulkenberg is obviously very quick. I, th- I think he's one of those guys that you wish would one day get a top drive because I'd like to see ex- exactly how competitive he'd be in a Mercedes or a Ferrari, for that matter. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're doing a good job. I mean, he... He couldn't hold off the Red Bulls. He was a bit uh, outpaced there. But, but by and large, it was pretty competitive all weekend. And to beat the Force Indias on their home track, I mean, Force India are based just across the, the entrance of Silverstone. Um, and they do many, many laps of Silverstone. Um, but to beat them there is pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree. And there seems to be signs that there's real pace in the Renault, potentially. I mean... You know their budget is vastly improved from what it has been in recent years, certainly, and uh, I I do think it's important to mention that uh, if we're talking about pure pace, and this brought this was brought up between uh, Palmer and uh, and uh, his teammate, uh, but uh, uh, Kevin Magnuson in. Uh, in the Haas is uh, way more competitive against Romain Grosjean to um, uh, compared to Palmer and Hulkenberg. And uh, I thought that mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Magnussen was doing very, very well, but then just had some bad luck. But uh, that's me skipping a couple places. I apologize for that. Um, so it was Vettel in seventh and then uh, Ocon uh, in eighth, Perez in ninth. They do seem to be... I would say on the men that relationship between those two teammates it was getting pretty heated, heated in uh uh in Montreal and Baku it seems to be calming down I don't remember any significant thing happening in Austria Yeah yeah you're right they haven't hit each other for a while have they I mean they were running in close order at Silverstone and I think Hobbs mentioned that there might be some fireworks coming but sure enough they managed to keep far enough apart that uh 
they brought some good points back for Force India. I mean, they're on almost 100 points, Force India, with 10, 10 races gone. Um, I don't see any other team catching them, really. So they, they've sewn up fourth in the championship already. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it's, it's quite good. And then, you know, Williams, uh, speaking of the people that would hope to displace Force India, uh, it was Felipe Massa collecting the single point in 10th. And this is where it gets interesting to me. Uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, 11th place. So first of all, the McLaren finished. Second of all, it finished in a not too shabby position. Outside of the points, yes, but not buried. And also, at the end of Q1, it was raining. There was a lot of context to give to his But Alonso <laughs> put in the top time in Q1. I, there, there are signs of hope in that chassis. And then, oh, the fact that Alonso couldn't finish the race was just so bitter. But I, I feel like they are potentially possibly maybe turning a corner a little bit McLaren Honda specifically Honda well I want to touch back on Williams uh, in a minute but but let's talk about McLaren Honda I think Honda are done I was fascinated to see that the Sauber deal has been reversed that Sauber won't use Hondas next year it hasn't been officially communicated but that was widely reported last week and I think McLaren are desperate to dump Honda and have a, a Mercedes engine again next season so I think this is Honda's swan song. I don't see any rainbow at the end of uh, at the end of this particular F1 uh, period for them. I think they're going to be dumped, and I don't think a single team wants to run that awful engine. And uh, and the only way that McLaren are uh, you know going to get competitive again is by having a decent engine. Um, and I think you know they they introduced a reliability upgrade at the weekend. Honda, did you notice any? I mean, you, okay, Van Dorn got eleventh, but. You know, again, Alonso couldn't finish. He couldn't get two cars home halfway through the season. It's just unacceptable. I don't know what's going on at Honda. They need to go away and have a good long think and and uh, try again. But I'd I'd like to see McLaren have a decent engine. I can't I can't bear another season of this dismal performance personally. It's hard to argue with the facts. When Honda first decided uh, that they were coming back, I was like, I I was very excited. I remember fondly. Oh yeah. I remember fondly the late '80s, early '90s era, and uh, I totally agree. Yep, and I love the history of Honda winning in the '60s, and I, I've always been a big fan of Hondas. Yep. Uh, you know, my coming of age uh, car uh, car guy story is with an Acura Integra, first generation Acura Integra. So, uh, yeah, a deep deep love for that brand, but then. <laughs> Well, it's a different it's, podcast, I think. It's a different <laughs> podcast. And that, that engine would al- always made it to the end, too. But, uh, and, you know, to that end, you know, Honda is doing very well in IndyCar again this season. Honda uh, won the Indianapolis 500 with the Japanese driver, no less, with Takuma Sato. Um, but, yeah, their they're fate in Formula One, now that we're in the third year of this, I, I'm just, I just can't, I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of very unhappy executives at Honda. And the, this, the most bitter, stinging irony of it is that one of the weakest tracks for Honda has been Suzuka, which not only is a Japanese circuit, but Honda owns Suzuka. That is literally a Honda property, <laughs> and that's one of their weakest places. Yes, yeah, so. True. 
if the rumors hold true, I mean, it's been three years. Uh, I am a staunch defender of Honda, but I'm I'm running out of ammunition here. Yeah, I, I, you know, you you go back to the history, right? The first year, uh, you you know, everyone said, okay, they were late in the development of these new hybrid engines. They're very complicated, so everyone gave them a pass, right? First season back, second season, it was all about the fact that. The, the tokens were still in place that was limiting Honda's development and everyone accepted it again. Then they get rid of the tokens, they change the rules so Honda can can start to, to make real strides and catching up and they're just failing to do so. And and I think, you know, in Formula One where things move so quickly from race to race, to see the lack of progress on that side is entirely unacceptable. And clearly that there's some fundamentally fundamental issues with the program from top to bottom and um, until there's a wholesale technical change with whoever's running their engine program I don't I don't see it I don't see it improving and clearly McLaren have lost patience I think they just the uh, apparently have had enough and <laughs> Sauber wisely backed out of that I mean that would be the end of Sauber let's be honest McLaren are str- big enough strong enough have enough history to survive this episode I don't think the likes of Salva was going to, um, so so probably wise on their on their part, and so maybe maybe we'll see the rebirth of a fully fledged Honda team. Maybe that's their only option. They buy they can maybe buy Force India, uh, who are rumored uh, to be up for sale, and put their engine in the back of that, and and keep plugging away until they finally get there in ten years or so. I mean, well, my first choice if if that were to happen would be that they start an eleventh team. So that we can get away from the minimum of twenty cars, which I think is frankly on the light side. Um, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, but uh, so I believe that you uh, wanted to spend a few minutes singing the praises of young Lance Stroll. So please go ahead. Well, I got two comments about uh, Williams. Firstly, yeah, Stroll after a nightmarish start to the season, which good old your mate uh, Villeneuve. Had to chime in on, didn't he? he not to, my he... mate. Not my mate. Oh boy, I don't even. I don't even think I can accept that in jest. That that's that's really hard to swallow. I oh, mean, no. the poor... I, I, continue. But I I have comments about that for sure. But but poor old Stroll was having a nightmare, and and Villeneuve had to put salt into the wound. But anyway, finally we get to Montreal. The guy remembers how to drive. And uh, up until Silverstone, he's been on a bit of a roll ever since. But um, and I'm I'm very pleased to see it. I mean, he deserved his podium. I was a bit devastated that he he missed out on on uh, second place in Azerbaijan. But um, but it's still really fine to see him actually getting the Williams up up to the front of the field and and uh, racing well. But then, unfortunately, Paddy Lowe has developed a new update to the Williams introduced in Austria and since then the car's been going backwards in a hurry I mean it can't qualify it's got no qualifying pace anymore the race pace still seems to be there and all of a sudden Williams looked lost and that's uh, a real shame because Stroll really struggled at Silverstone uh, Massa did all right but could only just scrape a point as you mentioned earlier so something's gone gone wrong with the development process at Williams which is which is troubling I mean you know it's early days for low I'm sure he'll sorted out but um but yeah disappointing because williams started to be going in the right direction and suddenly they've gone gone in the wrong direction all of a sudden yeah and and that just that just seems to be williams plight which is so frustrating because i'm such a massive fan of williams just the general 
a plucky attitude of the place. Um, and, uh, you know, Claire Williams is my uh, favorite person that isn't my wife in the world. Wow, that's and, quite a um, What's that? <laughs> that's quite a statement. <laughs> oh, Claire, is, come on. Claire is amazing. To be, to be Claire, to be, you know, just so brilliantly English, but then deputy... Uh, deputy team principal of a Formula One team, not to mention an iconic 40-year history Formula One team with how many championships is it? Nine? I think it's nine constructors championships. Eight or nine anyway. And uh, come on, what's not the love there? So yeah. anyway, but to Lance Stroll. Okay. Uh, Villeneuve started, uh, Lance Stroll started doing well. And because Lance started doing well, Villeneuve decided that it was time to start dissing him and coming up with excuses of he's a terrible driver and then he was breaking the rules by practicing more and all this kind of stuff. And my opinion was, hey, Lance, you've reached a milestone. You're now doing well enough to get complained about by Villeneuve. That's a milestone. I think that's a, that's a, that's a show of progression in his career. Yeah, I mean, I my my recollection is that Villeneuve actually started uh, bashing Stroll before he he had his breakthrough race in Canada. But you might be right. I mean, Villeneuve's a strange character. Well, it was. I think I think if if I remember correctly, and that's a big if, uh, comments about Lance started coming up the weekend of Montreal. Okay, and yeah, that makes sense. And in indeed, in qualifying, Lance Stroll was the only one, and it happened right in front of my eyes. Uh, uh, Stroll whacked uh, whacked the barrier at, at exiting turn one, and uh, just uh, was the only guy to have an off like that. You know, no one hit the wall of champions, and uh, all this kind of stuff. But Lance Stroll hit it there. I was like, oh boy, here we go again. But then he turned it around and turned Montreal into his breakthrough race. And so at the beginning of the weekend, Villeneuve said, Lance is the worst worst rookie in Formula 1 history or something just completely obscene. And then and then he had a good weekend. And he's like, oh, well, that's because he's cheating and all this kind of stuff. And if you look at, and this is my own opinion now, Villeneuve had one of the most gifted fortunate career paths I've ever seen. He he did well in IndyCar because he had a really strong team in IndyCar. And then he jumps into the Williams. The Williams is by far the dominant car. And he barely wins. Despite having the dominant car, he barely beats Schumacher to the championship. I'm sorry. I just... I think Villeneuve... Uh, he's obviously a, a very good driver compared to the general population. But I don't think, I don't think he's anywhere near the greats when it comes to Formula One drivers. And now he's got this brash, bravado, just hardcore, crummy attitude towards every other driver that competes in Formula One. And if you're French Canadian, that's worse. You know, if you're a teammate of his at any point, that was worse. But now, if you're French Canadian, that's even worse still. I, <laughs> Villeneuve. And then he's a country music. I'm sorry. There's just he's a caricature. He can't be a real person. I think you're a little harsh on him. I mean, second generation F1 drivers. It's 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 just always downhill, isn't it? I mean, Damon Hill. Mm, no, uh, 
<laughs> Jacques Villeneuve didn't quite live up to to the legend of his father. Uh, we we Andretti. But Damon and, Hill was at least Damon Hill was at least a gentleman about it. I mean, yeah, Damon oh, doesn't yeah. go around bashing everybody else. Yeah, but he wasn't quite as um, didn't carry himself with the same. Uh, debonair qualities as his dad didn't win around Monaco ever and his dad won every time he raced there and uh, pretty much um, so you know I, I, I don't know if we've talked uh, before about the sort of generational slide but uh, you know you look at I mean even even um, even siblings I mean Michael and Ralph I mean what a comparison that was um, well so and I, it'd be interesting to see how Mick Schumacher fares um as he's being uh, lauded as the, the second coming. But but um, I think, you know, to, to go back to Lance Stroll for a second, uh, this is a guy who was behind his teammate uh, in Azerbaijan until until Felipe had a damper issue. Um, he, he is struggling to outpace a guy who's retired from Formula One, let's not forget. Um, and... Uh, and he, yeah, he, no, I, it's fair. He is oftentimes quite a long way behind Felipe. So I, I have my doubts as to whether he'll ever really crack the big time in Formula One. But I mean, it's good to see, for Williams' sake, some 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 uh, better driving that might lead to some points occasionally because they need it. I did appreciate Silverstone's effort to celebrate the Williams 40th anniversary. They had a couple of... Uh, uh, signs painted on the grass uh, that you could pick up occasionally uh, with the helicopter feed, which was cool that they were celebrating that milestone. Because Williams are, you know, they've fallen from graces. They haven't, they haven't uh, won a championship uh, since the 90s, which is astonishing. But they're still a great team. And uh, I hope they continue in Formula One for a long, long time yet. Do you know who the most recent winner in a Williams Formula One car is? Yes, of course. Pasta. Crash to Maldonado. <laughs> hey, he, he won, and he won very well. He did very well in the Williams, and that's his most recent, that's their most recent victory. And what was that? It was like 2013 or something. It, it's yes. been a while. Spanish Grand Prix, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it's got to be three or four seasons ago. I mean, the sad thing is, Pasta was genuinely quick. And if he could have definitely re- so, if he could have recaptured that race weekend on a more regular basis, he would have been a championship contender. But I mean, every other Grand Prix that season, he just hit somebody. Usually, Lewis at one stage, he was like crashing into Lewis like every other weekend. That's I mean, true. <laughs> it was just astonishing. And they they created the website of Has Pasta Crash Today, which is an all time classic uh, Formula One website. So. There, there was, I, I just, I couldn't, I was just shaking my head. There was, it was in, was he, he was Venezuelan, yeah? Or That's Argentinian? Right. He was Venezuelan, Ven- yeah. Venez- Venezuelan, yeah. And there was a, uh, there was a show on the streets of Venezuela. And it was probably Buenos Aires or something. Well, not, I'm sorry, not, well. Caracas. I clearly don't know. I clearly do not know Venezuela culture anywhere near enough. He was, uh, yeah, Krakus, and uh, he was just doing a parade, doing a show for his countrymen, and he crashed the car (laughs) during the show. He just went too wild, and he smacked a curb, and he took a whole corner of the car off. And I was like, oh, geez, Uh, nope, there's no history here. Uh, there's There's no future here. And But just as you said, I completely agreed. When he was on it, 
He was genuinely quick. And the other thing that we saw from Maldonado was just real effort. I mean, he really put his heart into driving that car, which you couldn't help but respect and appreciate. Um, there's a... Um, oh, shoot. What's the guy's... It was another... It was an Italian... Oh, man. This is this is really bothering me. Anyway, he he crashed a lot, but he always put his heart into it. And uh, I, I appreciated that. And I'll think of his name about 20 minutes after we stop recording this. Uh, I can't think of who you're... Who you're referring to driving for Jaguar because you had Weber it was Weber a, drove for Jaguar it was an Italian while. last name Not it was Fisichella. an Italian last name no but he, but I think he was Brazilian that's it's it I'm really I know this is bad <laughs> yeah you got you got me there Robin um yeah you I mean, you, I mean it it Maldonado was a a, a thing to behold and uh you you can have to appreciate that, um, but uh, you know I, I I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for Lance Stroll to truly make a long career out of this. But I don't know. I, I wouldn't completely rule him out of having success if he if he can start building on this. He's got potential to keep going for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think his his dad's bankrolling the seat, right? So uh, as long as his dad's got plenty of money um, and uh, as long as he continues to be a bit more competitive, if he can continue this form through to the end of the season, I'm pretty sure Williams will keep him on board for next year. Um, uh, unless uh, Williams really think they've got something a bit more competitive for next year. I mean, if Paddy Lowe can work some magic um, and they can actually get up there uh, and compete with you know Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, then they might want a slightly more. I mean, they've got to get rid of Massa. They can't. They can't keep going. Well, and and, I mean, Massa and they, and they know that too. Yeah, they know that too. Yeah, I I was still I'm still upset that Jensen Button didn't join Williams. I I think that would have been a fantastic spot for him. But yeah, I quite enjoyed Button's interviews. Actually, uh, they had DC. Yeah. And oh, Button. definitely so. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch, uh, rather than you know some. Um, some Hollywood star who doesn't really know much about the sport interviewing. It's good to see past world champions doing it. Well, did you not, did you not see the interviews on Sunday? Cause DC and button that was after qualifying. Yeah. Uh, after the race, it was Owen Wilson of cars fame as yeah. a voice actor. Mercifully short though. Then they handed over to button. Yeah. yeah. Um, the driver I was thinking of is Antonio Pizzonia. And he was he was in Jaguar racing in 2003 for, I don't know, two-thirds of a season. And uh, okay. he crashed more than once. And he... So, Antonio Pizzonia, he was Brazilian. And uh, I remember there was this, uh, this real famous video. Um, it was around the time when uh, Jaguar was launching the S-Type. And mm. Pizzonia was taking a journalist around in an S-Type. <laughs> and... They're going into a corner. I have no idea what track or what corner. And he turns in, and the journalist goes, no way. And then the next shot is the thing flipping end over end and landing, and both everyone was okay. <laughs> but it was like, yep, yep, that's Antonio Pizzonia. That, that sums him up perfectly. So, yeah, so Maldonado crashed during, like, Parade Dies, Venezuela. Antonio Pizzonia crashed a... Production S time <laughs> Jaguar. 
Anyway, uh, to the British Grand Prix not only was a great event for Lewis Hamilton for the race result and the fans going nuts and all that kind of stuff, but he took a massive chunk out of uh, Vettel's points lead. Uh, he was 20 points behind. Now he's one point behind. And uh, in addition to that, uh, Valtteri Bottas um, lost a little bit of ground to his nearest rival, which is Lewis Hamilton, but actually gained on uh, Vettel as well. He was 35 points behind Vettel, and now he is 23 behind. So pretty impressive. And then fourth in the, fourth in it in the in the championship is Daniel Ricciardo. And Kimi, he did gain a little bit of ground, but he is a fair amount behind in fifth, uh, 19 points behind Daniel Ricciardo, which is frustrating to see. But anyway, yeah, so the championship has become quite close and quite uh, lively, which I can appreciate. Yeah, definitely. The championship uh, has tightened up nicely. 20 points was getting... uh... A little bit big, the gap between uh, Seb and, and Lewis now, it, it tightened it right up to one point. And as you mentioned, Botash is uh, very close. So definitely, I think um, the impartial Lewis Hamilton fan out there will appreciate that Lewis is much closer uh, to where he really deserves to be. He's had the most wins this season. Um, should have had the win in Azerbaijan, obviously. Uh, some duff uh, Mercedes um, pit work cost him the, the win there. So... You know, I'd hate to see a repetition of last season. I'm I'm okay with Vettel winning the championship if he has a, an overall better season and outraces Lewis. But if Lewis loses a second championship in a row due to unreliability or misfortune, I will not be a happy man. Um, although if it does mean that Vettel retires instantly and goes to watch Wimbledon next year, British Grand Prix, that, that might be a silver lining. But... Uh, but no, I mean, I think we're all enjoying a close championship uh, and a more competitive championship because Vettel is is a better driver than the reigning world champion, no doubt about that. And uh, what <laughs> if Vettel uh, wins the championship and again, then gifts that championship to Nico Rosberg, and so <laughs> Nico is two time champion uh, twice in a row? That that that's real championship uh, accomplishments right there to befriend the guy and uh, keep it under the German flag as well. You know, I'm, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I think that would be the safest bet that Vettel won't be actually doing that, as he's clearly uh, almost maniacal in his in his pursuit of a fifth world championship. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's got a lot of good qualities, Vettel. He's um, he's a bit of a hothead. I think that might be his undoing. I can't believe the uh, FIA investigated him for his driving in Azerbaijan and still didn't give him a penalty. I, he's incredibly lucky to have got away with that. And one wonders if, if the frustration levels continue at Ferrari, whether it's it's going to lead to him getting getting some sort of penalty down the road. I know he's at his limit on, on driver's license points, right? He's got nine points. Right, yeah. He built up quite a lot of points. And uh, this was actually the Grand Prix he skated through and only just. I mean, he was risking it with the Verstappen moves. But uh, because he went away without points in Britain, it's been over a year for his first point. So they're going to start dissipating. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm not a big fan of the summer break because the season's really starting to get into its stride. Um, and uh, and then they go away for three weeks and it always seems to sort of deflate the championship a little bit. I hope that doesn't happen this year because it was very odd last year. Hamilton got back into contention last year and then had had a, a run of you know poor races that, that basically put it in uh, Rosberg's lap. And 
you know, I'm hoping that this is going to be close throughout the rest of the season and it'll be entertaining and everyone will enjoy it because no, we don't want a bore fest Mercedes domination. Um, we want good close racing, obviously. Um, but, uh, but with a Hamilton victory at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the unbiased opinion of, uh, Christopher Roche, the Englishman. Uh, I'm, I'll tell you post-summer break is always a thrill for me because it is spa and because Raikkonen is going to be in the most competitive car he's been in in a while. I'm going to pay close attention to him for sure. And I, yeah, I think there'll be some ebbs and flows and it's just so common for the championship to look sewn up and then something happens like it always does and it can tighten up again. So it'll be interesting to see. And yeah, let's see if uh, Vettel can calm it down a notch. Chris, uh, thank you so much for joining me uh, again. It was a great conversation about uh, the British Grand Prix. And uh, you and I will will have to talk again sometime soon. After all, it's uh, two weeks away from the Hungaro ring. Yes, thank you very much, Robin. Cheerio, pip pip. <laughs> I, oh, that, you just made my evening. That is such a fantastic... Thank you so much. That almost almost makes up for no ice in my tea when I just want some cold tea. Thank you again one more time to Christopher Roche for having that lovely conversation with me. It was uh, always good to hear uh, his opinion about uh, the sport. It's uh, The English perspective is sometimes right, sometimes wrong, but always, always fascinating. So the next race up is Hungaro Ring. Looking forward to that one. It's going to be interesting to see if Mercedes continues that momentum or if uh, Ferrari can start uh, chasing back or if, uh, you know, other teams uh, surprise. Anyway, um, before we go, I wanted to uh, remind everyone that uh, you can come uh, to funwithcars.com, check out the site, um, send us feedback via email at feedback at funwithcars.com. Uh, check out our Twitter at FW Cars, uh, Facebook page, and all that kind of good stuff. And also um, the latest on predictions. Uh, predictions, it is still going alive and well. Uh, David Stevens is still in the lead, and he's actually pulling ahead with just 24 points with half race distance over. Uh, he's doing, doing very well. Uh, I'm doing less well. Jim is doing much better than me, despite his... Uh, Despite his uh, taking down co-hosting, maybe that's what it is. He's put much more time and effort into his uh, predictions analysis, and uh, that's why he's pulling ahead. So, always, it's fun to do the predictions. It's uh, very simple, and uh, I have officially changed my prediction. I was I was kind of rooting for Botas, but the Hamilton Botas conversation uh, combination was only going so so. So now it's. Um, now it's going to be Hamilton Hamilton for the Hungaro ring. I think that he's on a momentum swing that he's going to carry for a little while. And uh, be interested to see if I decide to keep it that way for the summer break. Have to see what goes on in Hungaro. Uh, <laughs> have to see what's going on at the Hungaro ring in Hungary. Looking forward to it. Till then, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>